Good evening and welcome to Pin Drop at Sarah House. It really is a great pleasure to be here to introduce the, like you've just seen her, the incredible, irrepressibly brilliant Molly Parkin. <laughs> Not yet. I've got more to say. <laughs> I'm Simon Oldfield. I'm the founder of Pin Drop and we uh, showcase extraordinary people who have extraordinary stories to tell. And Molly Parkin certainly spits the bill. She brings something very special to the world and joins a lineup of our incredible luminaries from Sir Peter Blake to Stephen Fry and Richard Dawkins. So, welcome to the lineup, Moll. <laughs> um, I'm fortunate to be able to call Molly one of my really good friends. I've known her for many years, and there's a very special place in my heart for her. Um, we have a very special bond, I think. Hopefully, Moll will agree with that. <laughs> um, but everyone who has met her, I think, has taken this special magic that Mole brings to everything. Uh, she is 84 years old, and she recently told me that she wants to live to 100. And I thought that was a damn good idea, and why stop there? Because the world is a better place with Molly in it. So keep going, Mole. Um, and she is, uh, has a lot of her life very well documented. She has, her life started in the Welsh Valleys. She moved to London in 1949 to go to Goldsmiths. Her work was exhibited widely. And then she was bought by the Tate, of course. Um, moving on into the world of fashion, she started designing hats and bags for Bieber and then went, to be, went on to become the fashion editor for Nova, Harper's Bazaar and the Sunday Times. She's also written 10 best-selling novels, comic erotic novels, uh, and they're kind of precious things. They're hard to get hold of these days, but they're kind of collector's items. Um, she released her memoirs in 2010 called Welcome to Mollywood, and she's written reams of brilliant poetry, much of which you're going to, well, some of which you're going to hear this evening. Um, and friendship. I want to just touch on friendship with Mole. She has had some extraordinary friends over the years, from Francis Bacon, George Melly, Louis Armstrong, and all of the wits and raconteurs of London, known and unknown. Friendship with Mole is something that's very special. She's very good at it. She's funny, she's witty, she's clever, she's insightful, but she's really good at being a friend. You can go and lose yourself in her studio, surrounded by an explosion of paintings and colour, and under like, the enchanted garden that she has on the World's End Estate in, uh, in, on the King's Road. Molly is an expert friend, but tonight she's going to be an expert performer, giving a little taste of her one-woman show. So, Molly, please welcome... Molly Park is the stage. Thank you very much. Bit exciting this, isn't it? Bit daunting actually, too many people here. <laughs> now, here we go. I reside in the Tower of Babel at the Chelsea area World's End. The council dumped me on this once savage estate as they had Christine Keeler when she was at a low ebb, meant as a punishment for two good time girls. She for bringing down the Tory government in the 60s by shagging Profumo, the foreign secretary, and a Russian spy, both at the same time. Well, not at the same time, but at the same time in the same era during the Cold War, and me for being bankrupt, not paying my taxes, choosing to spend the cash, boozing all day, every day, with Francis Bacon and the like at the colony instead. Which I would do all over again, given the choice, seeing it as the essence of my creative education. For the conversation 
alone, Celt to Celt with Francis, and being cuddled and called cunty so tenderly by Muriel, my mentor. <laughs> As for the punishment, I've been whip, whip, whipped with a string of pearls and am utterly in my element here in what's termed sheltered accommodation for the elderly and the infirm, with my very own garden where I planted palm trees and bamboos and fragrant bushes of lavender, and bee-seducing honeysuckle and crimson roses crying to be plucked, heavy and their own weight, like young women with child. I have shy global refugees as neighbours, none of us knowing what the other is saying, passing in corridors, spilling from elevators, so smiling instead and saying it all with a gentle look in our eyes or fucking caring about each other, men and women and children, infants and ancients mourning families back home and those left for dead in political strife, the displaced going through it, sharing life on an inner London council estate, which if you haven't done it, you can't possibly know it. Every bloody politician should be forced to try it like taking a pleasure cruise on the Titanic. It unexpectedly brings human beings, homo sapiens, closer together, whether they share the same language or not. Like the huddling of penguins in Arctic blizzards. And I'm old enough to remember that's how it was in the London Blitz with enemy bombers overhead. So we exchange a brief embrace, a twinkle in the eye, or a fleeting brushing of fingers, feeling comforted and understood, using this kind of language with sentences left unsaid. Yes, I am waiting for the clapping. I had to do that in the pleasantry on the King's Road when I was doing something for Mike Horowitz just a few weeks ago, and I haven't been doing uh, these shows as it is uh, with, with, with my poetry, not for a long time, and people have come very cold in the heart and very uneasy about clapping. So I just stood there, like for about four or five. I would have gone 10 minutes. I told them I could go on half an hour. <laughs> I'm waiting for the fucking applause, sweethearts. <laughs> which I'll be waiting each time I do. Thank you very much. Okay. It was awful when I went to that estate, I've got to tell you that. And the reason that I was bankrupt is that um, when I was, uh, well, I'm 84 now, so I was just over 70 when I was put on that estate. And... Um, Oh, do I want to be bothered with that? Yeah, I do, I think, because <laughs> I was too frightened. I don't know if you've ever been on an estate. I'd always had, like, houses, you know, with housekeepers and, and all of that, because I was always selling a lot of paintings, or I got paid to be a, uh, a lot of money to be paid fashion editors in those horrible jobs. Horrible jobs. <laughs> the world of fashion is hateful as far as I'm concerned, because I'd only moved amongst poets and painters before. 
But we won't go into that because I assume that there are some people from the fashion world here. Do you want, do you want to put your hand up? I'm not going to avoid you afterwards. I shall come and shake a hand. Hands up those from the fashion world. Only one little person. Only one brave enough to do it. Hello, sweetheart. And more, you said. Yeah, there's four at the back as well. I They're at the back, well. yes. That's fashion, <laughs> always at the back. Okay, this is... Uh, anyway, when I was there for the very first day uh, and the first week, I couldn't bring myself to go out of that flat and cross the courtyard place to go to the co-op. I was thrilled to see that the co-op was on the King's Road in front or on the edge of the estate, which was always my favourite shop because that was the only sh big shop. Well, the co-op isn't a big shop, but it, down in my valley, it was in my village, the co-op was the only shop. And when I was used to be dawdling to doing my homework, all my aunties and my granny and my grandfathers, both of them, said, uh, get on with your homework. Now there's a good girl. I'm I, not interested to do my homework. I just do a little bit of painting for you. And they said, stop it now, because um, you is the one who's going to go to London for the fame and the fortune for the rest of us. I don't want to do that. I want to stay here. And, and they said, and what would you be doing if you were staying? I said, I could have a job in the co-op and then I'd be carving cheese and, and carving bacon and that is what I want to do. You are not going to do that in the co-op. You are going to London for us. All right, then. <laughs> I said, I'll go to London for the rest of you and I'll be famous and I'll make a lot of money and I'll... I'll marry lots of different men. Is that what you want? Yes, that is what we want. <laughs> and that's what I did. So when I got to the World's End estate, there was the co-op. So I went with my handbag across the courtyard and an elderly lady of certain size, she approached me and she said, excuse me, excuse me. And I said, yeah, I was dressed like this sort of thing, you know, which is how I dress. And so she said, excuse me, um, oranges? I said, I haven't got oranges, but I'm going to the co-op, and if you sit there, I can bring oranges for you. No oranges. Bananas, apples, grapes? No, 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 oranges. I said, you know when you're talking to a foreigner, you put on an accent then, don't you? <laughs> me no understandy <laughs> oranges. And so she said oranges and so she said me oranges Libya you oranges origins I said ah me Wales me Welsh woman Welsh woman oh she said Welsh woman she said new here I said very new it's my first day and she said well, she said, what did she say? <laughs> I've said this story so many times and uh, <laughs> I can't remember the last line now. That's how you see, I haven't said it for so long. And what did she say? Oh, she said, welcome to this country. <laughs> 
and I said, thank you very much. <laughs> I didn't see her after all. I think that she'd gone with a happy heart to die, you know. She was older, and I never saw her again. But it was my first welcome to a place which I adore living on this estate now. I just love it more than anything in the whole world. I've always wanted to live where there's a, a community. And whatever you say about London, you know, because I've always lived in Chelsea, there's not that same community that there is in a Welsh Valley mining village. And, and this is this now with the refugees, and I have always thought of myself as a refugee coming from Wales and from a Welsh-speaking family. And um, th that's where I've now I've chosen to be there. Uh, what was I when I got there? I was 70, and now I'm 84. 14 years, isn't it? In the same place. And because one of my grandfathers was of uh, origins, of gypsy origins, I don't really like to stay. I used to buy houses and maybe live in them for a year or two. Once I decorated the whole thing, it comes a bore then. You don't want to be living in it, do you? You want to move on and do it to the next thing. Anyway, this is a little poem for Jessie. And I might sound tearful. It's very hard for me to read it, but this is my 24-year-old beautiful, blonde, blonde, beautiful girl who turned down Oxford, very clever, turned down Oxford, she didn't like them in the uh, uh, interview. She didn't want to go there. And her mother, my daughter Sarah, was really upset about that and more upset when she came to me and she said, you know what Jessie said to me? I'm not going there, uh, mother. I know that you want me to go there so that you can swank in your cocktail parties to people, but I didn't like them there. I wouldn't be happy. And... Uh, and um, and Sarah said, uh, um, well, wasn't that a horrible thing to say to me? I said, sweetheart, I, I said, I say 10 out of 10 to you. You brought your daughter up beautifully to be able to say that to you. Oh, she said, I hadn't thought of it like that. And Jessie was like that. She always spoke with honesty and sweetness. But... Um, the drugs came into it, and we lost her when she was living in New York. And um, if you've ever lost somebody, and I'm sure that all oh, there's going to be somebody here who's lost a family member like that. Grief is a torture. It stabs with fierce pain. It recedes, then returns again and again, shivering in shockwaves, sobbing. We are left, emotions in turmoil, a family bereft. Young life lost for good, bleak cause and effect not yet understood. That flaxen-haired cherub, that affectionate child, that eager young student on whom fortune smiled, that beauty with all the world at her feet, our Jess laughing and loving, so ineffably sweet. We'll treasure, cherish your memory, we'll mention your name, we'll miss you forever, our lives never the same. But now in our mourning, and this won't be brief, we struggle in ways to come to terms with our grief. For agony eventually is replaced by acceptance, the heartache transformed to a spiritual perception. Your soul has flown, Jess, to a different dimension. You have gone on ahead. We will rejoice on reunion. Thank you.
The timing of rhyming, quite hard to knock the rhyming on the head, the poet said. So tough to find a rhyming word for love, apart from dove, above, and shove. Shove, as in your faithless body from our bed. Contaminate the lives of all your mistresses instead. Father of my children, that dashing chap in church there at my side, we both made vows where dewy-eyed I trembled, knelt the blushing bride. Five decades on, long since apart, we met together, ancient, now I dropped the bombshells, why, where, how. He gave a start, tears in his eyes. You broke my heart. My voice was soft, my voice was low. I stroked each cheek with fingertips and dried his eyes and kissed his lips. Forgiveness doesn't rhyme with love. But given time, it's still a name which means the same. Second childhood. Being so old, I feel so young as second childhood has begun. I chuckle with ease, I do as I please. Awake with the dawn, fall asleep on a yawn. Take no notice of rules, meal times or fools. Forget what I've said, chattering non-stop instead. I sing out of tune, have a word with the moon. In a world of my own, dream of wild oats once sown. I'm ready to go, reason Rejoin all those I know who've gone on ahead, leaving me here instead, being a spoilt babe, having such fun, overindulged by everyone. It's <laughs> a bit weak, isn't it, this? Where's your clappings? Upset now, aren't you? They've picked him out. <laughs> In my day, I, I lose count of how many lovers I had in my day, embracing them as all as they came my way. This is a chapel girl speaking here. I'd never refuse the chance to amuse, to tickle their chin or tousle their hair, to admire their muscles and stroke them down there. I was fantastic in bed, that's what they all said, and knew how to kiss from all that practice. More than that, I was kind and attentive and would listen and tenderly wipe each tear as it glistened. Grown men weeping silently, wretched with grief at the death of their dog or their father or mother. And to soften the blow, I would give them another cuddle and squeeze down again on my knees. <laughs> Sometimes in bed. <laughs> Sometimes I'm in bed, sometimes in bed, now that I'm old and my passion's grown cold, I laugh to myself recalling those lovers and all the hijinks beneath the covers, proud that I'd shaped, shared my beauty and youth, that my generosity of spirit had been put to good use. So strange and so sad that not one of those lovers has survived to this day. Famous chaps, great careers, now all passed away. I wonder if I had sapped their kernel of strength, <laughs> devoured their resources, sources to build up my own, like a sensual queen bee on my sexual throne. <laughs> Parable, man-eater, lady-killer, you and I together, kid, how could we go wrong? And yet, sweetheart, we did, scuppered by those lies we lived. 
mad about each other, lover, turning backs on any other, staying true until the end when escaped seemed heaven sent, despite those lyrical years we spent. Passion shared both day and night in the darkness and the light. Nothing succeeds like sweet success, yet we carried it to excess. The flame that burns the brightest dims, vanished by our mortal sins, temptation, boredom, seeking more, on each and every distant shore, neglecting joys from years before, involved in stuff we now deplore. We failed, we lost to both our cost, fond memories still remain. Forgiveness softens mutual blame. In our hearts we feel the same, but can't kickstart mad love again. Second marriage, that. <laughs> nothing left to say. Sometimes we make love when there's nothing left to say. Emotions, the body, the blood flow are misused and abused when words have nowhere else to go. There is a communication of the senses, an animal reaction to flow and contraction, but when words are missing and mouths used yes for kissing, the glance is averted, the eyes reveal all as windows of the soul. Sex isn't the answer when lovers flounder. A phrase is enough when the situation gets tough. Thank you. I love you. Forgive me. Stay with me. Sorry. When meant will do to get through. The hardest words are the truest. Expecting, expressing love at its purest. Bit miserable, those. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is a lovely little one. They're, they're, the poignant ones will end in a moment because I, I'd written these a little while ago. <laughs> so I've got new ones. How beautiful was that hawthorn tree? How welcoming the bower. But we were never meant to be. How sweet and sour our brief romance. How drenched in light those birds in flight. How fleeting was the hour. You held my hand. You bruised my lips. The, bu the bu bushes brushed our fingertips. We couldn't stay. Both went our way, you to your children and your wife, and me to my own exciting life. Such a poignant, sad farewells. Still the memory of you dwells in moments. When I pass the tree, I wonder if you think of me. Oh, hey. <laughs> And this is good because it's got a good end line here. I'll tell you the little story because I did a, a, a poetry thing a few weeks ago and this chap came up to me afterwards, I'll tell you. Sex with an X spells D for danger. Safer to Jews, choose one-off sex with a stranger. The X brings back memories, good ones, not bad. Sex leaves you both feeling wistfully sad. You put on your song and both sing along so you don't have to think you have more to drink whilst feeling uptight, sensing something's not right. You somehow pretend there was never an end just for that while beneath the false smile. You both have a new partner, younger and smarter. I suppose you know what I'm talking about, don't you there? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
who never replaces your own one once loved faces. The farewells are brief, but you both linger longer, fragile, near tears, struggling to stay stronger. Sex with the ex won't happen again. This is the worst emotional pain. Sex with an ex spells D for danger. Kinder all round, enjoying sex with a stranger. <laughs> so when I was getting ready to leave uh, after the Mike Horowitz uh, a thing a few weeks ago, this beautiful chap came up to me, tall, handsome, young-ish, and, uh, well, that's like young, is like 40 for me. <laughs> but, uh, and he said, thank you very much, Molly. I didn't know it was available on the agenda. Which part are you thinking of, sweetheart? I said, and he said, well, sex with a stranger. So I said, you've never had sex with a stranger? Well, he wasn't gay. That was obvious, wasn't it? <laughs> and uh, he said, no, is, is that possible? I said, are you going on the tube now tonight, or which way are you going home? And he said, yes, I am. Well, I said, have a word with the chap who's stand sitting next to you. He said, is that how you do it? He said, would you like to come along? No, sweetheart. I said, <laughs> I'm not coming along. You'll be all right. I was astonished. <laughs> Sex in the city, you laugh. Very shallow people. Sex in the city, Victor... <laughs> I boarded the bus down memory lane, past scenes in Earl's Court where nothing's the same, the tall, dingy house in that once shabby square where a foreign quack doctor performed my abortion, a grief which I never acknowledged with tears until my sobriety in subsequent years. The fragrant garden centre off Cromwell Road, selling sacks full of sweet-scented flowering bushes to enhance the properties in both of my marriages, which sold those houses when divorce strolled along, heralding my freedom sanctified with a song. The Odeon Cinema on Kensington High Street, where in the stalls I allowed hands to wander, the limbs of a stranger pressed hard on my own, fingertips seeking mine, on a burgeoning crotch, then still somewhat aroused, escaping into the night. We've all done that, haven't we? Choosing shy flight when they turned up the light. Perhaps you haven't, it's obvious. I don't know what kind of audience this is. Oh, I can see you. <laughs> Streatham Lacana was where we went dancing, Sister Sally and me obsessed with romancing, she, being older and considerably bold, encouraged me at 14 to dance the last waltz with a glamorous air steward, spitting image of Hollywood's Victor Mature, the co-star who shagged Rita Hayworth to sure. <laughs> he, he insisted on walking me home via Clapham Common and suggested I feel his tight rubber roll-on, worn to show off his broad-shouldered physique with the lean-flanked snake hips, sharing sartorial tips. I escaped his embraces and ran all the way home where my dad smacked the back of my legs up to bed. Victor Mature's corset is still in my head. <laughs> You've stopped clapping then, is it? <laughs> Love is never a waste. Wrong words said in haste. The loss of a friend when relationships end. 
with that bitter taste. Love is never a waste. Love is never a waste as memories surge, nudging each nerve. Hope in the heart as we take that fresh start. Love is never a waste. Love is never a waste, experienced or chased, betrayed from rejection, restored in affection, optimism encased. Love is never a waste. Thanks, sweethearts. Two, that's my that's two. my deaf. I know, sorry, wrong side. <laughs> two more, and then we'll have a Q and A. Yeah. What? Two more, and then we'll have a Q and A. Two more. Two more. Two more. Two more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Two more. <laughs> two more. Christ, shite. <laughs> Which am I going to be using now? My skin is loose. My gums are bare. I only have four teeth left there. There it is. <laughs> uh, and, there's the mole. and that's on the bottom. Lovely these are. I love them to pee. I don't have them on at night, you know, that's why I can't take a lover, I suppose. <laughs> but they've probably got the same if they're the same age as me. My skin is loose, my gums are bare, I only have four teeth left there. My vision's blurred without my specs. I hardly manage to hear a word until my hearing aid's in place. And yet I sport a beaming face, as if I'd won life's gruelling race. Stripped bare, I stare at my mirror there and smiling pray, be with me, God, again today. Um, but I've got one funny little one that I want to give you. See, I thought I'd be going on all evening, really. <laughs> um, oh, yes, I do this one. Have reached the conclusion without any confusion, a conviction lacking con contradiction, that my own health and radiance, humour, kindness and patience spring straight from my heart. That was the start, adopting positivity, banishing negativity from being, being verge vegetarian, transforming to vegan. Now I... What I now am, to my relief, with the belief, so simple, so sweet, that we're all what we eat. <laughs> Is that it then, darling? That's it, darling. Oh, I but love them all. You can keep sweet, with them. I know, that's it. I clap you.